listening to this week's Lefevre CFC podcast. Connect with us via our website, lefevrecfc.com, or our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash lefevrecfc. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, well, we're in the home stretch till Christmas, and so we're going to do three weeks of looking at the three central characters of the Christmas story, or the story of Jesus' birth, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And I've got the privilege of kicking it off today with Mary. Unfortunately, there's not a heap about Mary in the Bible. (laughs) So uh, Luke gives us the most comprehensive overview. We get a little bit from Matthew as well, but we don't really get much from Mark or John at all. So there's not a huge amount of material to work off. For, For someone who's so significant in this story, we don't actually know a huge amount about her. So what do we know? We know she probably didn't look like this. She wishes she could afford a costume like that. Um, and she would have had a lot of plastic surgery and a lot of other work done to look like that. So Mary looked nothing like that. She would have looked probably something more like this, a little bit more like that. This is what we know about her from Luke's account. She was a virgin. She was engaged to be married to Joseph. Like Joseph, she was a descendant of David, so they both came through Nathan, uh, sorry, through Nathan? Yes, through Nathan, they were descendants of David. Uh, She was very likely poor, and she was very likely 15 to 16 years old when she gave birth to Jesus. So again, she would have looked nothing like that, and certainly in later life, she wouldn't have looked anything like that. And I'm kind of glad, because... That doesn't look like, uh, personally, if you ran into it at a party, that would be a, a great hang, a great conversation. This Mary is really interesting to me. This teenage girl who was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. It's an amazing story and we should be interested in it. So the majority of what we do know about her comes from Luke. And that, the reason for that is Luke actually interviewed her. So Luke didn't, uh, wasn't around all the stuff that was happening with the disciples. Uh, he went and interviewed her and got an account. And he doesn't really even touch on Joseph at all. He's really interested in Mary. Now, part of that probably is because he was a doctor and he would have found, you know, childbirth is a huge part of a doctor. And back in those days, it was one of the huge tasks that you would have had being involved in some way around mothers that gave birth. And so we get the best account of Mary from Luke. And like I said, we don't know a huge amount about who she, what she was like as a mother. We don't have stories of her having Jesus on her knee and telling him some wise thoughts or some great concepts or some biblical stories. We have no insight into the kind of mother that she was. Um, the couple of times that she is mentioned uh, are in the, in the nativity and there's a few other uh, stories around uh, when Jesus turned the water into wine. There's also a scene at the cross. Uh, there's one other story featured. And basically in all of those times, she doesn't come across like she's in sync with what Jesus is actually doing. Jesus actually kind of corrects her. So we kind of don't get the impression that she was necessarily a very wise woman or a greatly respected woman in her community. She was a teenager who gave birth to Jesus. So like I said, she was likely poor. She wouldn't have been educated. So God didn't choose the most obvious person. He chose a poor, humble teenage girl to be the mother of Jesus. And that actually puts her in good company with many of the most noted Bible characters. And it reminds us that Anything that happens to us is through God's grace. He doesn't look at uh, 
family history. He doesn't look at the brain that you were given. He doesn't look at all of those things. Just by his sheer grace, he chooses and calls us. And he loves to choose repeatedly the humble, the brokenhearted, the unremarkable people of the world to carry out some of his most amazing tasks. So let's have a little bit uh, of a look. Now, the best two uh, texts that we get with an account of Mary are these two. And I'd actually love someone to read them out for me. So if you've got your Bible, or if you've got your Bible on your phone, and you would be happy to read Luke 1, verse 26 to 38, and Luke 1, verse 46 to 55 are the two texts that I'd like to focus on today. If you've got your Bible or you've looked up that on your phone, can you just pop your hand up if you'd be willing to read it, just so that I get a break, get you guys involved as well. Someone's got it on their phone and would be happy to read. That would be awesome. Anyone will do. (laughs) Any volunteers? Thank you, Sandra. Okay, do you want to do the first one? Thank you. All right, Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin girl's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of great greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Joseph's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come to you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So that's her encounter with the angel. And the next one will be a text where she actually gives thanksgiving to God. Has someone got this one who would be willing to read it for me? Thank you. Up the back, Reese. Um, the song of Mary and Mary said my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my saviour for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant for behold henceforth all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Yep, yep, that's it. All right, very good. So from that, we get a little bit more of an insight into her. And we're going to um, pull out a few key lessons that have come across those uh, texts today. Uh, We're going to talk about God's favour. We're going to talk about what it means to be the Lord's servant and what it means to be in a humble state. So first of all, I want to look at favour. 
And favour is a word, uh, until I looked, I didn't realise how much of a theme it is right throughout scripture. It's used repeatedly and I think if you think about today, it's not a word that I use regularly in conversation. Um, It's maybe not a concept that we talk about, but God's favour is littered throughout scripture. So we get what a favour is, don't we? We understand what a favour is. That's when we we ask people for a favour, which is, can you do something for me? Um, Maybe it's something that we don't do as much today as in previous generations. I think because we're a little bit more isolated in many ways than we've ever been, it's often a huge leap to go and ask someone for a favour. Used to hear of the olden days, people would go and ask their neighbour for a, a cup of sugar. Now, I have never been in that situation where I've needed a cup of sugar. If I was in a position where I needed a cup of sugar, I would probably just go to Foodland and do it. Which kind of, in many ways, we would say that's the right thing to do. Don't go and hassle someone. Don't go and ask someone to do something for you when you can just do it yourself. Don't be lazy. Don't be pov. Don't go and ask someone to borrow like 20 cents of sugar. But it's a good thing to do, okay? And I've been hearing some stuff lately about actually the concept of asking people to do favours is a really good thing because there's a lot actually that goes on in a social exchange when we ask for a favour that maybe we don't think about. Um, When you ask someone for a favour, there is a humility involved in that process. So if we use the sugar example, can I borrow some sugar? That's an admission that uh, I'm so stupid that I don't have enough sugar to make my cup of coffee or I'm really poorly organised and I don't have enough sugar to necessitate my cup of coffee tonight. So that's just a, an example. But when we're doing that, uh, or whether it's can you help me fix this thing at my house or can you help me with this, there's a humility involved that's I'm not good at something, would you be able to help me out? And it's actually a really important social exchange uh, that we do. It's admitting that there's maybe a weakness or a lack And it's a time where we're making ourselves vulnerable with someone. And favours are actually a brilliant way, or as you younger people might say, a cheat code to building relationships. When you make yourself open with someone and ask for a favour, something happens. It's a vulnerability and a very small one that you've opened up to someone else in asking someone for help. But what you will find is it's a great way of changing a relationship because what will naturally happen is that you will be warm towards that person when a need, they may have a need that comes to you. You'll naturally have a warmth because when you are in trouble, without your sugar, when you're in need, uh, you, they helped you out. And so you're going to have a warmth to them automatically. And when it comes for a time where they need a favour from you, you're likely to be receptive and do that. And so layer upon layer, we really start building some relationship. So favour is good, okay? And we know about the concept of favours and that's just a little something I wanted to throw in there. But the biblical concept of favour is something else. There's an acknowledgement that if God shows me favour, things are going to open up in my life. Things are going to happen for me. People are going to look favourably upon me. And favour is mentioned many, many times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Now, God's favour comes through his grace and mercy. And like with the story of Mary, he didn't look at Mary as a teenage girl and say, man, this girl's got something. She's amazing. She's incredible. Her theological understanding of the Old Testament is incredible. Or her generosity towards others is amazing. That is unlikely, okay? Uh, 
there's probably, without being rude, there's probably not any teenagers on the face of the earth who God is so amazed by, by their amazingness, that he's like, you are going to be the one, and that it was her in that point of time. God just decided, this was the point of time, this is where it has to happen, I just need someone who's in a humble state, who has a humble heart. Mary would be a great choice. That's probably as deep as it went. But there is, uh, through the Bible, we see many examples of him extending his favour to people who obey his commands, uh, to people who are desiring to live lives of humility, people who are obedient to him, people who are generous to him, people who are honest, people who extend goodness to others. Now, when we're in Christ, his spirit is at work in us, and those things naturally should be outworked in our life. But as we do those things, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, we can expect his favour to fall upon us. So let's look a little bit at some of these biblical examples. So in the Old Testament, the word favour is mentioned 127 times and 31 times in the New Testament. Um, In Genesis, the theme of favour and people desiring for God's favour to be on them is right throughout. Um, And it's certainly mentioned in the example of Abel, uh, Noah and Joseph. So in Abel's example, uh, God looked upon his sacrifice favourably because he was very generous, as we, we know that story, he was very generous with his offering to God, whereas uh, Cain held back. And so God looked with him upon favour, uh, in favour. Ruth, Samuel, David, Esther all received God's favour and were consequently shown favour by man. So we see very clearly there's a link that God's favour was upon those people and then favorably uh, men looked favorably upon them I think Ruth is an awesome example of that where God's favor was on her Boaz looked upon her favorably and her life turned around from being uh, a widow in a really bad situation to being married to someone who could provide for her and uh, through her the King David came so an amazing example of God's favor in the New Testament Mary Jesus and the early church all received favor from God and found favor with men And the definition of God's favour is really basically God's grace or kindness being extended to us. And I love this scripture, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Now that's interesting words in there, proud, favour and humble. When we are proud, it is basically saying, it's all good God, I've got life worked out. So that is a complete lack of humility and the, the, the verse there is basically saying to us, when we are proud, when we are resistant and hard towards God, we're denying ourselves a chance to receive God's favour. But when we're humble in a situation, we're opening the floodgates for God's favour to be upon us. So here's some examples of Mary finding favour. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. So basically, God's favour is upon you, it's all going to be good. Mary asked the question, but why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as that verse goes on, it's not anything to do with, uh, like I said, her theological knowledge or her church service or anything like that. It was just that God extended his grace to her because she was in a humble position and she was open to the things of God. In Luke 2 verse 14, which uh, I think was that the one Sandra shared, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. So if you need some peace in your life, if you've got God's favour, peace will be a natural flow on from that. So I don't know if you've thought about this concept of God's favour. I don't know if it's something you've ever thought about, I don't know if it's something you've ever prayed about. For me, it's something that quite a few years ago I became quite aware of, and it's actually a specific thing that I pray, that in certain situations, God, please let your favour be upon me 
in this situation. Help me be seen favourably in the eyes of these people who I'm going to be in front of or talking to. If you're here today, good news, God's favour is on you. God's favour is already on you. And I guess the favour that I'm going to talk about, there's kind of like two stages. The fact that you're here, the fact that you have an awareness of God is because God has extended himself to you. So that's something to be excited about. He's made himself known to you and you're here living and breathing today. So his favour is upon you for today. You're here. You're alive. Amen. You're living and breathing. You might not be completely happy with everything that's going on, but you're here and there's a chance for God to do something great in and through you. So you've been blessed with this life. And if we desire to be in him and being in relationship with him and following his commands, his favour will be upon us. That's a promise in his word. Through his Holy Spirit, he's transforming all of us to be more like Christ. And that leads to us becoming more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, kinder, all of those things. And those things will naturally draw the favour of man in most situations. Okay, So in our workplace, you should be finding favour. In your school, you should be seeing God's favour on you through man. In your community, you should be seeing God's favour. As you seek to be in relationship with him, to follow him, obey his commands, God's favour will be upon you. We do know that following Jesus doesn't mean life is all 100% sunshine and lollipops. That's not how it always works out. But his favour is upon us and it's about having faith that being in his favour is the best place to be. Now, that's not always going to play out in the world, that everything is going to play out how we would like to be. But there's a trust and a knowledge that if his favour is on us, that's all we're worried about. So if we go back to Cain, God's favour, uh, if we go back to Abel, God's favour was on him 100%, except his brother murdered him. So he didn't really find favour with man, <laughs> but he found favour with God. And for generations and generations, we've known that story and seen that God loves us to be generous in, in what we do. So he was in God's favour, was all that matters, okay? A lot of time we will find favour with man in this life as we're in God's favour, but there'll be circumstances and there'll be times where we don't find that with man, but we're more concerned about having God's favour upon us. I know in my life, I'm not everyone's cup of tea at all times in my life, but in many junctures, in big stuff, I have had a real understanding that God's favour was upon me, that in certain situations I got in front of the right people at the right time and God opened certain doors because his favour was there. Once again, not because of me being a great guy or anything like that, but that just as I humbled myself in circumstances and trusted that God would work through whatever I was going through, I felt that his favour was on me. And it's something that I pray specifically in key things that I, I come across in my life. God, I pray there'll be favour. If I think back to Tara, uh, when we uh, were first wouldn't say courting, I was interested in you, you weren't so much interested in me. But I found favour with Tara's mother and that was enough to keep, to keep Tara kind of like interested that her mother was saying, you should not give up on this guy. So in a situation where I wasn't finding favour with Tara, I found favour with her mother, which was a good thing. In jobs, I've just been in job interviews and in environments where I've just felt this person just likes me. Like, a lot of people don't like me, but this person likes me. Like, we've just gelled. We've, we've found something, and I've found favour in their eyes. In job promotions that I've had, where I've felt that there was obstacles to me being able to take the next step, just suddenly I would find favour with the right person at the right time. Like, I'd get in a situation with someone in a different group or someone else in the business, and they would kind of put in a good word for me, and then doors would open up. So, 
there's a real understanding that when we find God's favour, things normally do open up with man as well. And actually in Acts, it does talk about that Mary in the early church found favour with man as the Holy Spirit came and worked through them. So if you're needing some favour in your life, Mary's example is to be humble, and we'll go into that in a moment, but um, to just be humble to trust that God will be your provider, that God will be the one that opens up doors. And all we need to do is trust him, be in relationship with him, and we can believe and trust that his favour will come upon us. The second thing I want to look at with Mary is the statement where she said, I am God's servant. So we have this statement that Mary makes in Luke 1 verse 38, Mary submits to the angel and says, I'm the Lord's servant. So she basically gets to the point of saying, if this is what you want to do, angel or God, (laughs) um, I'm your humble servant. And it's a really interesting word that she uses here. So she says, I'm the Lord's servant. So God gives her a big task. She submits herself humbly and agrees that she will play this part uh, in this amazing thing that God's going to do. I don't know if we often enough think that we are God's servants. I don't know if that's something that you're familiar with. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as being one of God's servants. But as his followers, that's part of our call. That's part of our call that we are God's servants. Now, servant isn't a word that we like. uh, But if we look at scripture, Jesus, Paul, Moses, Timothy, as some examples are all referred to as God's servants. Okay, people that basically laid down their lives for Jesus to work through. And the word that is quite often used for servant in many of the scriptures where we, we refer to those people, uh, the term can mean a servant or it can mean a female slave or it can mean a bondmaid, which is a very old-fashioned term. But to summarise what a servant in most of those circumstances means is one who gives themselves up wholly to another's will without wages. So it's basically... Um, if we talk about being the Lord's servant, it's an understanding that if I submit myself wholly to the Lord, I'm not expecting anything back for this. I'm just doing it because I know he loves me, he wants me to uh, follow him, and I'm not expecting to get anything out of this because he's already given me enough. Him dying on the cross for my sins is all he needs to do. He doesn't need to bestow all these other things on me, but God being a good father, just as earthly fathers do in their own way, his heart is to bless us. His heart is for his favour to be upon us. So the favour doesn't come through all of the works, but as he sees us being obedient and, and understanding things like being his servant, then his blessings flow from that. Now, the word that Mary uses here, which I just I wanted to do a little bit of understanding of what she was talking about when she said servant. Now, the word that she uses is this word, doule. Does that ring any bells for anyone? What's a, what's a doula? What does a doula do? So they assist in birth. So it kind of got me thinking, now I can't say this is 100% what Mary was thinking and her translation, but there's almost this use of the word that is giving the implication that God, I'm going to help you in giving birth to your child. That's quite incredible that she would use that word. Now we can't say 100%, but that word is quite specific in more relating to um, being uh, someone who helps a a woman in in that situation. So it's quite interesting that that word is used. So Mary is seeing herself as someone who's playing this key part in giving birth to the Son of God. So a couple of thoughts. Are we God's servants? Like I said, it's not a word we probably like to use. Doesn't sound very fun to say we are someone's servant. Sometimes it's actually in reverse. Sometimes we see God as our servant. God, this is my life and I need you to tick this box and I need you to line this up and I need you to do this and I need you to do that. Where he's actually saying to us, 
Uh, it's kind of not that way, guys. Now, God, God uh, came as a servant through Jesus, absolutely. But for us, we've got to make sure that order's right, that we don't see God as uh, our little errand boy to run around and do things for us. That it's supposed to be, I'm in submission to God and I hear what he is calling me to do. And the question, what sort of servants are we? If we look at the parables, there's a lot of parables that actually servants are used in the parables. And here's some things that we can learn from servants that come through the parables. In many cases, the servants know their master's ways. They know their master's character. And that's certainly a call for us to know how God would respond in certain circumstances, to know his ways and to know his character, to know that he is good. Servants are ready. They're ready for him to return. And they're living their life as if he's about to return any minute. His servants are provided for in those stories. And even in the story of the lost son, we have the understanding of the lost son getting the, uh, the servants of his father were provided for and eating well, even when he wasn't. Uh, servants manage well what they are entrusted with. So what has God placed in your hands? And are we doing what we could be doing with it? We know the story of the parable of the talents where each person was given something by God and they were entrusted with it to make it profitable, to make it grow. Unfortunately, servants are often treated harshly when spreading the good news. So that's probably an example many of us had, have had where sometimes we've shared the gospel with family or friends and it wasn't received greatly, as in they stopped talking to us. That can happen. And that's the story of many servants in, in the gospels. And a scary one, quite often there's a, quite a few uh, parables where the servants don't show the same mercy to others that their master has shown to them. There's a couple of parables where the servants go out and mistreat other people and that's a challenge for us to be thinking about how we treat other people the forgiveness that we extend to others so there's some lessons about being God's servants all right I'm going to finish up on what it means to be in a humble state so we learn from Mary that God often looks to use people who are humble or live in a humble state he loves using people that seek his kingdom and not the things of the world so that was clearly an attraction for Mary that she was a humble young girl in a humble situation and Mary through we know through her song felt hugely blessed that God would choose her despite her humble state there was no recognition of God you are honoring all my many years of this or God you are acknowledging this she just said I don't know why you chose me God but you are good that's basically what she said and an interesting thought just as I was just reflecting on Mary and why Mary and I actually started to think about John the Baptist and his parents if you know the story of John the Baptist, his parents were Elizabeth and Zechariah. And it got me thinking that on paper, they were a way better choice to be Jesus' parents than Mary and Joseph. Mary was a young teenage girl. Joseph was, I assume, a carpenter at that time. He probably learned the family trade. That was the way back then. Elizabeth and Zechariah, well, Zechariah was a priest. They also had very strong lineage through their family. And in scripture, we're told that they were righteous and blameless. Now, we don't hear that about Joseph and Mary, but we do hear about, about Elizabeth and Zechariah. We also know that they were a fair bit older, so they would have had more wisdom, and they would have seen a bit more of life and could have taught Jesus probably more scripture and all of that. Yet God chose Mary and Joseph. It's an interesting thought, just one to, one to dwell on. All right. So God is attracted to the humble and those who are in a humble state. And if we look through the scriptures, we see many examples of when people humble themselves, when they're willing to be humbled, that God is the one who exalts, who blesses, who lifts up, who brings favour to them. Sometimes in life, we try and do that ourselves. We try and knock someone down to lift ourselves up. 
quite often that doesn't end up well in the long run, I've found. James 4 verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So he's saying if there's a part in your life where you need lifting up, you need elevation, don't do it yourself, humble yourself to me and I will lift you up in my time. So, challenge for all of us, could you be more humble? If you're saying not, then we've got a problem, probably. Um, If you're one of the most humble people you know, and I've heard people say that before, uh, besides this guy. The new Pope is a humble man, very much like me, which probably explains why I like him so much. Yeah, good one. Okay. So Mary was in a humble state and she had a humble heart. In our relationship with Jesus and also just in any relationships, here's some relationship advice today, take the position of humility. Humility for a believer means taking the position that everything in your hands has been provided by God and that anything good uh, in your life is through his work in you, through the Holy Spirit. That's a good position to take. A lack of humility, on the other hand, in our relationship with God and others can set up a barrier it can set up a wall and humility is a prerequisite prerequisite in us coming to Jesus when we bow down to Jesus as Lord when we call upon his name a huge part of that is us saying the way I'm doing life isn't working out I need a savior I need help and if I'm going to rely on my good deeds in my picture of what it means to get to heaven it's probably not going to work out so well if we stay in a position of I'm good I deserve this we're, we're building up a wall with God, okay? He wants us to come before him completely humbly, completely open and acknowledging that he is the one who is good. He is the one who determines who is good and that we are, can only be made good through the sacrifice that Jesus made. And it's a position we should take on each and every day. I'm terrible at running my life. I need a saviour. In how I conduct myself in my marriage, in how I conduct myself as a parent, in my workplace, in my community, acknowledging God I've got my own ideas for all this stuff but I know you can help me I know I want your favor to be upon me I want me to find favor in people's eyes show me what to do what to say in all of these situations so let's be humble in our walk with Jesus and how we relate to others and often when we seek to elevate or lift ourselves up we get humbled and when we're humble at the right time he will lift us up so we're going to close in a moment I might ask uh, Rod to bring the band up just to um finish up with the blessing so as I close I want us to take these three lessons from Mary I want us to think about our humility if we see ourselves as God's servants and understanding and appreciating and seeking God's favor so in our journey as we humble ourselves which is the first step in coming to Jesus the first step is me doing life my way me relying on my goodness ain't working out so good Jesus, I humble myself, forgive my sins. I want to give my life and lay my life down for you. That's the first step in in our walk with Jesus. And then it is moving towards servanthood. I'm not seeking my own way, my own ways, my own dreams and visions and all of those things anymore. I submit everything to you, Jesus, and I want to follow the path that you've laid down before me. And then the next step is seeking his favour, not trying to manipulate and control our whole life so that everything works out great, but by seeking his the things that he values and seeking for his favour to be on us and trusting that is his favour is on us, things in the world that we, that we rely on and need for everyday life, his favour will be upon us and we'll find favour with man to open up doors. 
So if you don't know Jesus today, that's my challenge. Will you humble yourself? That's the first step in coming to Jesus. The very first step is saying, this isn't working out so good. I lay my life down for you, Jesus. I want to follow you and I want to put my life in your hands. That's the first step. If you're a Christian, you've already done that before, then there's a reminder to do that daily. Sometimes we get swept away on our own path in life and we end up, some of these things start to fall off, the humility falls off, we start to feel pretty proud of where we've got to in life. We stop seeing ourselves as God's servant and sometimes we see him as a servant for us. God, I need you to open this up. I need you to close this door. I need you to open that door. I need you to do this. I need that because when I do this, I'll be able to do that and then this will... Come on, <laughs> that's not the path we're called to follow. Our, our path as believers, when we've laid down our life, when we first come to him, that's the path we stay on for the rest of our life. We don't graduate from servanthood. It's something we continually do. And we only need to remember Jesus' example of this, that he was willing to come and be our servant, that he was willing to come to this earth to die on a cross for us, to lay down his life for us. And we look about how Jesus conducted himself when he was on the earth. He didn't look anything like many of the Pharisees and others thought. They thought he was going to come around and just condemn everyone and tell off all the sinners. But he turned his attention to the Christians, or the Pharisees, we'll say. He turned his attention to the Pharisees and saying, you guys aren't getting this stuff that's important to me. Humility, servanthood, these are the things that I value. And it's not about uh, obeying a whole bunch of laws, it's about your heart and where your heart is with me. So three challenges for us from Mary's life and what an example, humility, servanthood and seeking God's favour and acknowledging God's favour in your life and it's important as believers that we always have that sense of gratitude, that sense of thanks for what he's called us from. At times we can get swept away with, oh I'm doing alright in life at the moment, I'm doing pretty good but there's an acknowledgement that if God hadn't stepped in, we don't know where we'd be. I know for me, if God hadn't have stepped in and what my family situation was and what my social situation was, I, I don't want to think about where I'd be. But for God's grace and God's favour, I thank him for where he's brought me and I hope that's your testimony for each and every one of you today. So let's humble ourselves, let's serve him and let's seek his favour to be upon us. We're going to sing uh, the blessing in a moment. I love the, the theme of favour that comes through here and understanding that when God's favour is upon us, it changes our lives, it changes generations in our family as well and just acknowledging and seeking that. So I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to ask Rod to lead us.